Hello and welcome to Bluebells Forever, a podcast with interviews of Bluebell dancers past and present. Join Sherry Lewis, a Bluebell herself, as she leads us on a journey through story and experience. And now here's Sherry. Joining me today is Diane Guest Hoff. And I met you for one brief second when I interviewed Greg with Lou Allard about the technical background. Like their stories were wonderful about what it's like to the behind the scenes. And you popped on for a brief second, like, oh, I need to interview her. And then also Greg sent me some wonderful things about your dance studio. So I've, I think we finally got ourselves connected where we can do it. And so I, when you pop on Zoom and you have this wonderful background, it's got blue sleeves in the back. What did, okay, I have to ask, what are in the white? Is that, is that, um, that's not night and day. Those of you who've been in Hello Hollywood, you'll, we'll do a little disclaimer here if you weren't, but there's like, she's got the background on Zoom, which has like the, the scene from Hello Hollywood, which is beautiful. And I'm just like amazed of how gorgeous that show was. Well, hi, Sherry. And I appreciate you uh, asking me to be interviewed today. I think it's so exciting. And the picture in the background is blue sleeves. And then the people in the, it looks like white, but it's actually pink, I think, are the singers standing on the stairs. Oh, that's right. And they were oh, that was such an amazing behind us as that staircase used to come up from the lower deep field. Mm, that whole opening number is just incredible how it just went one after the other. Cause I think after that is top hat, they come up over the stairs and it just such an amazingly beautiful show. And we were in the same show, but not at the same time. Um, I was in there from end of 79 to the beginning of 80. And then you came in in 1983 Correct. So I would love to hear, because I think what's so fascinating is where everybody came from, because that shows in Reno, which is, you know, not necessarily the entertainment capital of the world, but has brought in these amazing performers from all over the world. So where did you grow up? And then you can tell me how you ended well, up in Reno. I was, I was born in England. Uh, Rhoda and Jack are my parents, and my dad was based in uh, England with the, uh, as a with British South African Airways. And uh, he used to just uh, technically work on the flights that came from South Africa to England. And so him and my mom were stationed there for five years, during which time my brother and myself were born. And then um, when I was born, I had a hole in my heart and oh. I wasn't too healthy apparently. And my mom wasn't that healthy. And so it was suggested that we go back to South Africa to the nice sunny climate. So at the age of one, we went back to South Africa. And uh, I have to first say, uh, preempt this by saying my parents loved the arts. They loved dancing. They loved ice skating. They loved everything, water, water I mean, they really loved the arts. So to have that behind me my whole life. Um, so from age five, they saw that I was always dancing around, apparently, I don't know. Um, and being creative and so they they put me into dance and didn't I mean I was healthy the fact that they said I had a hole in my heart that never ever stopped me in any way um, mm. I, I was very healthy so she found a very good ballet school for me the Joy Cooper School of Ballet and uh, I'm sure my mom did her research because she would want me to go to a good school mm. she just didn't send me to something down the road because they were there was a studio just down the road and we didn't go there so uh, she found a good studio for me. And I, I remember my very first day of ballet sitting on her lap. I was five years old, watching the rest of the class. Wasn't too impressed until it came to the end of the class. And the teacher said to the 
little girls that they could be circus ponies and gallop around the room. Oh. My mom said I jumped off of her lap and joined in because I wanted to be a circus pony. So I didn't necessarily want to be a dancer. I wanted to be a pony. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I um, love that. What captures that young mind? What captures the imagination. So does that creative imagination, you know, the standing at the ballet bar for hours just doing the same exercises, that didn't excite me. It, it, was, it was something that was, you know, a little bit more creative. Yeah. And uh, the, I started actual school when I was five. I was quite young, but my birthday fell in the middle of the year, June 22nd, and the cutoff was June 21st. And my mom managed to sneak me into school a year early because I was fighting at the bit to go. But I was always, as all showgirls are, I was always the tallest kid in the class and the youngest kid in the class. Hmm. Um, but my first experience of uh, dancing um, after going to Joy Studio was deciding to choreograph myself as a sailor in the school play at age five and a half I was, <laughs> I was a sailor doll and um, so my teachers at my school just a regular school realized that I had this creative side almost immediately um, later on at my school um, we had a fantastic music teacher and she and I didn't play an instrument, but she knew that, knew that I was a dancer and she decided to put a, a ballet together, a play. And she said, there's one dance spot for Capalia, the dancing doll. Well, hello. <laughs> hello, <laughs> that's me. <laughs> and I went to audition for it and I didn't get it. Gail Putter got that spot and she went to the same ballet studio as me. She was a few years ahead of me and I was not happy that she got that spot. And then she got injured, which was very lucky for me. <laughs> Not your doing though, right? Sorry, Gail. But <laughs> um, I got to be Capalia. And that's when I was about nine. And, uh, and I just, you know, you just either love that feeling of being on stage and hearing the applause it's not even hearing the applause it's just I mean I remember that putting the makeup on that was enough for me it was just exciting. Oh. Um, and then a couple of years later, and I was 12, they have a thing in South Africa, they call you, it's, I think here they call it like the student body president, but there they call it the head girl or the head boy. And you get all these special privileges leading classes at school. And I was chosen as the head girl of the school. And with that, um, the same teacher decided to take me to see Margot Fontaine and Rudolf Nureyev in Swan Lake. Oh which was appearing in South Africa. That was my kind of reward for being chosen. And uh, that was just amazing. I remember sitting, getting dressed up in a three-piece white suit and watching the dry ice on stage and just seeing these ballerinas float. So I was hooked on the visual of the ballet. I mean, I went to ballet class twice or three times a week and you know, I'm, I have flat feet, size 10 flat feet. I was five foot 10 at the age of 11. So oh, wow. Very tall. Most of us showgirls are very tall, but completely flat footed. So, you know, nobody thought that I would ever do point work. And it was a struggle for me. But I loved the visual. I thought there's got to be something more. And my parents took me to a lot of musical theater. My mom was in the Mikado and things like that. And I thought, okay, I can do that. I can wear heels. <laughs> Yeah, and I so I always kind of loved the acting side of things. Besides that strong ballet training, which my mom said to me, "You are going to 
continue with ballet until you graduate high school. It's part of your education. At that point, you can decide if you want to quit. But I'm not gonna let you quit because your feet are flat and it's not that easy. Um, I remember every ballet exam, the examiner would write on the bottom of my report, most promising dancer, do not attempt next exam until you improve your footwork. <laughs> and oh. then I would do the next exam and promising dancer must strive to improve footwork. Well, I had big flat feet, so they just, <laughs> they just didn't improve. But um, that, little, that little bit of um, affirmation when they would say you're promising, that was all that I needed. And that's all my mom, she would focus on that and say, look, honey, that examiner said you were promising. <laughs> That's so I gotta say, because there's a lot of people that hear your legs are too long, you're too tall, oh. don't go into this. Like there, there's so many that, that stop. But actually, that's really amazing that your mom. And, and that's why I love teaching. And I look at that kid that's got the everything going against them. And I'm saying, I made it. So if I made it, if yeah. you've got a person behind you that's going to push and support you, you can do it. Don't. Mm. And that push and support, how important that, both. The support, absolutely. I mean, my parents were amazing with, with the wow. support. Um, yeah. So then I got as far, I, I did ballet at Joy Cooper's studio for 17 years. So it was a long, it was a long time. I mean, but toward, I, I passed my, my greatest achievements there was I passed my uh, advanced two Chiquetti exam, which was very difficult for me because the whole exam is in point shoes. So that, that, oh. that a lot of my friends passed that before I did. Not that there was that many taking class by the time you get to that level. But for me to pass that and get a credit for passing that in point shoes was a huge achievement. And then um, as I graduated from high school, I was going to go to graphic arts and fine arts college because I'm also an artist. And I went to ballet that night and my ballet, I was showing my friends my, my art portfolio in the back of my car. I said, this is my art portfolio. I'm sending this off tomorrow um, to see if I can get into art school. And my ballet teacher came out and said, would you rather be an associate and do an apprenticeship with me at the dance school? And I can put you through your teacher's exam and you can do an associate apprenticeship with me. Well, I never looked at that artwork again. I mean, oh. that, that portfolio oh. in the trunk of my car, didn't look at it, went home, mentioned it to my parents. And I said, would you be willing to pay for me to do my dance apprenticeship with my teacher or pay for art school? And they said, what do you want to do? And I said, I want to, I want to teach dance, which was their love as well. Mm. And so I did a three-year apprenticeship with her learning to teach every single class, every level, and I passed that exam with honors. So that was, that was a nice accomplishment for me. So, that, so then I opened a studio in South Africa. I taught, I actually had two studios because Sherry, this was the time of apartheid in South Africa where black children, yeah. white children were separated in schools. They were not allowed to be together. Um, but in 1971, or I think it was 70, or 76, it was the year of the child. And in the year of the child, there was a lot of uh, big companies trying to give a little bit of money away to underprivileged children. So it made them look good and they could get a ride off. And well, that's right when I had two studios. I had a, a studio for black children that was part of a school program. And I had 144 
little underprivileged black children. And then, I mean, these little sweet peas danced in socks and underpants and vests. And um, my mom and dad were amazing. My, um, they gave me in the schoolyard at the black school, there was a, sh a huge shed, which would be like a triple wide shed. And they took all the stuff out of the shed and said I could have it as a dance studio. But it was just a concrete floor and corrugated walls. And my mom and dad went in there and turned it into a studio for me. Um, so beautiful. Sorry, I'm just like so impressed with your parents of this so nurturing. My, my, mom, oh. my mom made these beautiful ballet curtains. My dad made these little black foam cushions and covered them, upholstered them so the kids wouldn't have to sit on the hard floor. Somebody donated a piano. Um, I actually had a live pianist, Auntie Flo, who played piano for me. And these little children from the school came to audition to try out to be part of this ballet program. I had one little kid that came that was missing her middle fingers off of her fingers because they had been burnt in, in hot water. Some of these kids lived in shanties. Some of them lived in fairly decent homes, but I would say 75% of them lived in very, very shanty type homes. Then I would give them ballet books. And then I'd say to them at the end of class, why do you want to do ballet? And I remember one little boy, Clive, said, because I like the curtains. He liked the curtains, oh. my mom. I mean, they didn't even have. Um, so I had 14 boys and the rest were all little girls, the most enthusiastic little children. So that touches my heart. It was mm. called Reka Park Middle School. And I put them through their ballet exams my parents, my dad got, we would donated ballet shoes. My dad would polish all the little ballet shoes. My mom would make all the little leotards and costumes for them and got them through the exams. And we took them to the first ballet I Stetford. I had, Stetford is the same as doing a ballet competition here. Now I also had, I taught at a Presbyterian church where I had white students privileged white students that came in beautiful little leotards and stuff. So I had 40 students there and then 144 at the black school. And um, when I heard there was going to be an I Stedford in town, I wanted to get these kids to compete and contacted the I Stedford and they said black children aren't allowed to participate. And I said, but it's in our constitution that in the arts, the you can't do that in arts. You can do that in sports and you can do it in education, but the arts is open to everybody. And they said, okay, but they better be up to a very good standard. So my mom made, they had black leotards. My mom made these beautiful golden skirts and golden flowers. And we practiced out in the school courtyard because my little classroom wasn't big enough. I had 22 kids that I entered from the black school. My parents from the white school were so amazing. They, 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 they donated costumes and things as well. They had no problem whatsoever with the kids competing side by side. And then I was also dancing professionally in different cabaret shows at the time. My cabaret friends said, we will come and help out. And they showed up. Um, the company manager, Celeste, came and did all the kids' makeup. Another, my Spanish dancing friend, he came and he helped get all the boys ready in the boys' classroom. My dad came and had all the shoes polished. The little kids would run up to him and just say what shoe size they were. I'm a three, I'm a seven, I'm an eight. My dad would put them on and then they'd run to my mom and she'd put a skirt on them. 
and they'd run to another friend and she'd put flowers in their hair and they'd push them on stage. And they did so exceptionally well that the exam, uh, the adjudicator of the competition stood up and said, I've never done this before, but there was a dance, a golden dance. And I'm going to ask if these kids would perform it a second time. So that instead of just judging it, I can sit and enjoy and watch it. And so we had to get all these kids rechanged back on stage so that they could do it. So that was a very special time in my life. I think out, oh. of, the, out of everything I've done, that is one of the highlights of my career. And as I say, in 1976, television came into South Africa for the first time. I mean, around the world, everybody's had TV their whole lives. We had no exposure to television. And that's the year that I graduated high school. So as I graduated high school, there was this boom of theater and television and everything was right there. And a lot of people were a little bit nervous about trying out for things. Um, I, mean, I went to one audition for the television studios and it was a cattle call. So there was about 400 dancers. Um, and I was actually in Cape Town, which is about 2000 miles. I mean, it, it's a two hour flight from Johannesburg. So I flew back to Johannesburg to go and audition for television and I got there late. So they had 10 choreographers, I, I, I don't know, I think it was 10, maybe my memory's a little bit befuddled, but there were, there was definitely at least, I think there was 10 choreographers and they let you go through each station. So you learned a piece of choreography from this choreographer and then you moved to the next station and then you learned a piece of choreographer and different choreographers could choose who they wanted to work for them. And if you were really bad, you were just sent away. So as I arrived, I saw a lot of people leaving. I'm thinking, oh, I'm just showing up. But I noticed that a lot of the people leaving didn't look like they had a lot of good training and thought, okay, well, they were just trying out for TV. And then I got into this convention area that they were doing it and they had to be at least 200 people still on the dance floor. And um, I had missed three pieces of choreography already. So I thought I really have to make an impression of what I can still do. And out of all of the 200 people, they chose eight of us. And I was lucky I got to, mm. but I mean, I had never sung before. I remember Wendy Dillahop had us singing. I, I'd never sung before, but of course I can lip sync. So <laughs> Right. I, it's television. I said, it's television. I can lip sync. <laughs> yeah. And so she said, you know, I can't even remember what they played. I think it was something from Hello Dolly and I lip sync. And then I'd never really done tap because in South Africa, the tap is different to American tap. American tap is cool and smooth. South African tap to me, and I hate to say it now because I'm sure there's some amazing tap teachers there, but to me, it's like if you couldn't do ballet, you did tap. It was like mm. the second best thing. So I had never tried it. And then suddenly there's an audition for a tap. And I'm thinking, oh gosh, I better go and take some tap. Yeah. So I, I faked the tap. I thought, you know, if you blew and you don't know where, you know, I can, I can make my feet, body. I can make my feet look like they're tapping. And then, you know, they're gonna dub the sounds in on TV anyway. You know. Right. So <laughs> I managed to get in that one. And so I had a fantastic, this was called SABC TV, South African Broadcasting Television. And the eight of us that got in as the initial team, we had a blast. I mean, any show that they needed somebody in the background or, you know, they'd always have the main 
star, and then they'd have the eight SABC dancers in the background dancing. Yeah. And so we did a ton of stuff. And then they got to start featuring us, which I was lucky I got to do a lot of feature because I was five foot 10 and everybody else was either two inches shorter than me or even shorter than that. And at the costume department, they made every costume a size six. You had to fit in a size six costume. There's oh. one five foot 10, there's no way. <laughs> I mean, I there was Velcro and pins on the back right. of all of my costumes. <laughs> But, uh, you know, you, you made it work, but the facilities were top of, top of the line. I mean, we, we were, were so lucky. And at the same time, I was running these two studios. I was still taking ballet class for my teacher's exam at my studio and, and working on television. And then wow. there were cabaret, cabaret shows. Like, of course, I want to do a cabaret show. Um, well, firstly, I'm jumping ahead because my friend Tanya, who danced with me, uh, was Peter Crevier's dance partner that you're going to interview. Peter Grove, as we know him here. Mm -hmm. in, he was in. So um, she was doing pas de deux with him. And they were opening the first uh, La Folie extravaganza to happen in South Africa because, you know, it's pretty. South Africa was very um, conservative. Yeah. And now they we're going to bring this Lafoli showgirl show to South Africa. And the choreographer was Andre van den Est. And Peter and Tanya had already been rehearsing for about six weeks. I believe it's six weeks or three weeks on this production show in Pretoria. And Tanya did ballet with me and she said, you have to come and audition for the show. You have to. They need a principal. They need a principal singer dancer. They can't find the principal to kind of lead the show. And I said, well, Tanya, I don't sing. And she goes, well, it doesn't matter. You can lip sync. So she says, mm -hmm. uh, come with me. Um, I'm going to take you to Pretoria. At the time, I was living with my dance teacher. So I had to kind of sneak out. And I didn't want to tell her I was going to go and audition for a naughty show. <laughs> and, and I remember dressing up very kind of showy. I had red pants on and beige boots and a beige cowl top and a red hat I thought okay that that looks showy so we walk into the walk up the stairs of this little studio and upstairs I hear all the dancing going on in three different rooms and I walk in and the choreographer says to me oh doll I must have you you are very showy and I was like yes the hat worked <laughs> <laughs> So he said, just sit over there and watch all the choreography. He was very keen to show me that everybody had been rehearsing for three weeks. All the numbers were done. They just need to be polished. And he was saying, I'm going to put you in here and I'm going to put, he was telling me where he's going to put me. He didn't even see me dance. Oh, and the then hat. <laughs> it was the hat. I swear it was the hat and the way I carried myself, you know, and then, I, then I saw Peter and Tanya doing their pas de deux and it was absolutely beautiful. I was like, oh my gosh, I don't know if I can pull this off. And then they said, we want you to audition. Here's the, here's the song. And it was from South Pacific. I'm going to wash that man oh. right out of my hair. And I thought, I can't sing, but I can act this. So I had to take the hat off because I had to wash that man out of my hair. So I just went, <laughs> went into the small studio, put this little piece together, came out, pretended to be in a bathtub and washed this man out of my hair. And they said, you've got the spot. 
Oh, that's great. And since they had choreographed everybody else's numbers, I got to do like seven solos because they just oh, slotted, wow. slotted me in, in between. Plus I got to do some of the group numbers. So that, I mean, I didn't even ask about money. I, I didn't even care if they didn't pay me. I mean, we right. really didn't care. <laughs> Who cares? I remember we got, they said, how much would you like? And I was thinking, oh, $10, $10 a show would be fine. <laughs> <laughs> oh dancers I, are so bad at that well it was bands at the time it was ridiculous I mean I had, I had no clue but it was a big deal in South Africa um, we got so much publicity through that Fiat Cars gave us gave each principal dancer a car to drive around in so that we could be seen in their car yeah. oh they my were, they were, I didn't drive at the time Peter drove me everywhere so uh, <laughs> But there was lots of cocktail parties and publicity and newspaper scandalous things. Oh, there's going to be a naked person in a bathtub. Well, <laughs> we, were, we were fully covered from neck to finger because they bought these flesh-colored unitards for us all to wear. This is South Africa. You're not allowed to show any skin. So we had these underneath our costumes. I mean, we couldn't have been more covered if you tried. But anyway, it was, uh, it was a magical time. Gets them in the door. Oh, yeah. There's, there's no better publicity than than scandalous publicity so right. so yeah it was fantastic and my ballet teach and I had a ballet solo in there and uh, it was wonderful I my you know your my parents came to support me and my brother came to support me and, and I think that support if I get anything out of my whole very blessed career is that I was supported from day one encouraged and mm. you know that's one thing I wanted to that's that made your story made me cry about your school with the black children getting to have things because I feel like the way your parents raised you with the exposure of the arts mm -hmm. to get to see things on stage and so many different types of entertainment arts but where a lot of kids don't get that it kind of like you said privilege that is something yeah. we don't realize it's not for everybody yeah. so the beauty of that your parents supported you but how they supported you supporting others to have those opportunities that aren't there for everybody like if you never get to see the arts why would you how do you know? go towards them and that's well, that's where i feel like that's that's sounds like it's part of your story there's all um, through there when you say that these little black children they'd been dancing with me for six months now any dance teacher knows you can't teach that much in six months but yeah. i've never had such musical naturally musical children i mean when you see little african children that just hear a beat and they react that, that was my kids i mean rhythm that you cannot teach and so we because it was the year of the child we'd also decided to put on the very first dance recital and uh, the local high school said we could use their school space the ballet shop lent me uh, donated all ballet tights another ballet shop gave me a backdrop that they didn't want in their ballet shop anymore I mean people were very generous and of course my mom and dad amazing yeah Plus, I was dancing in this La Folie extravaganza with the top South African dancers and they all offered their time to come and be guest artists in this little concert that we were putting on Peter and I did a pas de deux which was hysterical because you know I'm a big girl and Peter was used to dancing with these lovely little thin ice skating ingenues but we decided to do a pas de deux to sloth, 
the seven deadly sins. <laughs> Why we thought this would be good. <laughs> and then my brother said he would be my stage technician. So Peter says, okay, I'm going to have your sister Diane in an overhead lift and I'm going to spin her four times and then I'm going to slowly bring her down. Now, when I bring her down, you must close the curtain because I can't hold your sister much longer <laughs> than four turns. <laughs> so my brother is sitting on the side of the stage with a hand cranked curtain. And Peter and I are telling each other choreography as we are dancing because we used to take a lot of dance class together. And we had names for different combinations. So we would just like fiercely look at each other, say the name of the combination, which we'd given a different thing. And then we would go into it and do it. So my brother was sitting on the side of stage watching this and was fascinated and totally forgot to close the curtain. <laughs> so Peter is spinning me and he's spinning. And then he's starting to like probably swear at my brother on the side, close the curtain. Close the curtain. <laughs> but of course my brother just, he couldn't believe what he was seeing. So Peter keeps on spinning and he then starts to kind of kneel down and try and like roll me out on the floor, still trying to keep the character of like sloth and death. And he tore every muscle in his rib cage because, you know, oh, big girl. And uh, yeah. anyway, and then eventually my brother's like, oh, curtain. <laughs> oh, oh my gosh, that's like a movie scene. Oh, so we have to bring Peter into this because you have this wonderful career that you didn't need to leave South, South Africa. No. You've got the cabaret, the TV show, and the studio. So there's got to be something that appeals to get you to leave. So can you tell, like, because I know you told me you didn't have to audition. So that alone, because some of us have, have told our horror stories of auditioning for Don No, Martin. I didn't have, but listen, I had, I had danced, as I say, I danced in South Africa a lot. And those few years that I was there, it, it was, it was wonderful. I had so many opportunities. I, I danced with the Wally Green dancers on TV. And then um, Mr. Wally Green, who was trained in America, came to South Africa and had this American school of dance. Of course, we wanted to go to that. Yeah. <laughs> and he was head of the, he was the choreographer for South African television. He knew how to choreograph for TV. You didn't have to get super fancy and creative. You just kept people in little parts. And the TV camera would, take these people and then the TV camera would shift and take the next group and then the gantry shot would take them. So you didn't have to be creative like Don Arden in moving people around amazingly. You just stayed in your spot and the TV cameras moved. So hmm. I learned a lot from him. And um, being that it was still apartheid years, they had, and television came out, there's two official languages in South Africa. There was English and Afrikaans. Hmm. And then there were at least seven or more African languages. So TV, there was four hours of English TV and four hours of Afrikaans television and nothing for the poor Africans. And then the following day, they would change that around and it would switch. And that's where we did all our TV dancing. And then they decided to open a third channel for the African people. And Somebody who had seen me dancing on SABC One phoned me and said, we know you teach black children. We are looking for some black dancers to be part of SABC Three. We can't find any choreographers that want to be part of this. And I was oh. like, I'd love to be part of this. So not only was it an opportunity for me to teach and choreograph for television, 
but I got to use my students. Oh, that's wonderful. So I choreographed a 12-part mini-series using eight of my dances, and it was called uh, Musical Instruments of the Bible. I couldn't understand a word it was said because it was all, all in Sasutu and Swahili. It didn't matter, dance is dance. And because it was a Bible-related mini-series, the parents were thrilled to have their children part of it. I had to do a lot of research about what music might have been. I mean, like we did things that had some kind of a tambourine and water jugs on our heads. It was very beautiful, kind of pour de bras moving. It wasn't jazzy or anything. It was very much beyond like their ballet train. But eight of these girls made very good money and were exposed on South African television. And I got to be known as a choreographer. So, oh then, my I got gosh. To, so then I got to be asked to do some choreography for the other stations as well. And I was lucky I got to choreograph a New Year's special and I got to choreograph a Christmas special. And so, yeah, I had a good, a very good career in South Africa. So I really did not need to come to the States. Yeah. What propelled that as well is I lived at home until the age of 24. And in South Africa, you, it wasn't really known to live on your own. Most of my friends stayed at home with their parents. And then when you got married, you left. Mm. But I was very antsy to leave. And my, my darling dad and mom that had given me everything, my dad, my dad could have been my grandfather. He was quite a bit older, you know, and, he took, and I was his sweetie pie. He, he said, I've given you a good home. I need you to be here and you can take care of mom. My mom wasn't very well. You can take, you need to be here and take care of mom. So I never ever thought I could leave home until I got married. But then when this option of a contract in America came up, that was not insulting to my dad. That was not like I'm leaving home because you're not providing a good future. That was, oh, here's an opportunity. Oh. And um, so Peter, who was my dance partner in South Africa, was also a phenomenal ice skater. And he came out to the States. And when you interview him, he will fill you in on that part because I, I don't quite know the timeline of how that happened. He was with Lynn Ryder. And Lynn Ryder was a South African dancer and ice skater from Durban. And that's where Jillian's mom lived. So I think Jillian hired Lynn as a dancer and then Peter came out as their partner. I'm not quite sure how that all jigsaw puzzles together. So you'd have to ask him that. Um, they came out, I think they came out as a skating adagio team. And then she, be, she got to be a pony in Hala Hollywood. And then eventually he got to be a male dancer. And then Peter obviously must have, I know they had some auditions and they were looking for another principal dancer. And he said, oh, you've got to call Diane. You've got to, you've got to, told Julian she's got to call me, but she'll never come. She'll never leave those kids at that school. She'll never leave her kids, but you've got to mm. call her anyway. So she phoned me and it was either one or two o'clock in the morning. Now, when you, when you get a phone call at that time in the morning, it's usually something bad. Mm -hmm. And uh, my dad must have answered the phone. And then he came to my bedroom and he said, Peter's on the phone. I'm like, Peter? He says, yes, Peter Javier. So what's he do? What's the matter? What's going on? So I go to the phone and Peter says, Diane, here's Jillian. <laughs> I don't even know who Jillian is. I have no, no idea. Here's Jillian. She wants to speak to you. And then Jillian's, hello, lovey. <laughs> Jill and Peter is telling me that um, you know you're a principal dancer 
and I've done my research and I've spoken to all the choreographers in South Africa that you've all worked for. And they've all said, you'll never leave. You'll never leave. You've got everything too good over there. But we just thought we might ask you, we're looking for a dancer. We've had our auditions and we're still looking for somebody. And um, would you be interested? And I said, of course I'll be interested. But, so, um, and she says, well, you know, the principal position is a topless position. And I said, well, you know, I'll never do that. And she says, well, that's what they all say, hubby. But um, I'll give you back to Peter and you can discuss it with Peter and then you think about it. But this contract starts on April 8th. And this was like the middle of March. I'm thinking, oh. <laughs> I closed two studios. I had just finished doing one cabaret show. So that was okay. We were close to the end of that contract. Um, I was getting my ballet students ready for the exams. I can't do this. She says, well, there's an opening. I'm offering this now. This offer might not stand in six months. This is an offer for now. Okay. Mm. So um, and, uh, my parents adored Peter and whatever Peter said was like, you know, speaking to God and them. I, I mean, they knew that Peter would take care of me. So Peter convinced them that I should really do this and that he would take good care of me. Didn't tell me that when I got here, he was leaving that contract to go to Madrid. But anyway, <laughs> so I go into, I, I speak to my ballet teacher and she says, Diane, you've got to go. You know, you're 24 mm. years old. You've got to go and try this. When does somebody offer you a contract sight unseen? You've got to go and do this. I'll find somebody to cover for your studios. You can go for six months, but you better get back here because we can't cover your studios for that long. And then I spoke to all the other choreographers and they said, you're crazy, you've, you've got to go. I mean, this just doesn't happen. You really need to take this opportunity and go. I went and spoke to my students and I said, you have to do your ballet exams in two weeks because bye-bye. <laughs> if, if somebody told me I had to test for my exam in two weeks, I would die. My kids were so excited for me to go to America. Really? And um, my students used to call me Lady Di because Lady Di got married that year. And so, mm -hmm. like, oh, Lady Di, you got to go to America and get famous. And then we'll all come out to you. So that, so that was <laughs> And so I put 184 kids through ballet exams in two weeks. Oh. With the intention uh, that you're coming back too. With the intention that, oh, total intention. There was no ways I was going to stay. I was just going to come, make a lot of money in America compared to <laughs> some, and then tour the whole of America, use up most of that money and come back, move out of my parents' house because now I've kind of graduated. Right. And, uh, <laughs> and then have this, uh, you know, bring all, take as many classes as I could possibly take. That's what I wanted to do. I wanted to come and learn as much as I could dance-wise that I could bring it back to my students. Oh. And I could choreograph on TV with, I just wanted to come and get experience. Yeah, so, it's amazing. Um, so when I go to the airport to leave, there was at least 45. I was, we were trying to count because we took a photograph of all the, there were all these little kids at the studio with signs and presents. I had two bags of presents that these kids brought to the studio. Oh. I mean, to the airport. Oh no. I couldn't even kiss my dad goodbye because I couldn't get to him. He was at the back of the crowd and I remember him just giving me a thumbs up 
Oh. And I've seen the tears down his face as he thumbed up as, as I'm walking down the ramp with these two huge bags of presents that all these kids brought me for good luck. Oh, that's very different now with check luggage. You wouldn't have been able to do that nowadays. Well, here's the thing is my dad worked for the airlines. Oh, good. And, <laughs> and he knew the guy at the checkout. Otherwise, I would never have been able to do that. And, and now exactly. And they all gave me little things, little, yeah. little pom-pom, little keepsakes. But oh, so sweet. And once again, my mother took me to a boutique in Germiston and bought me a very fancy outfit because she said, when you arrive in America, you know, this is America, you have to look good. And so once again, I had the burgundy hat and a three-piece camel suit, the burgundy Ooh. boot. I don't know and what I thought. I, I don't know if well, what I thought it was coming to, but anyway. Well, it might be more New York than what actually McCarran Airport really is. Exactly. I mean, I don't know, but my mom, my mom, had always had this vision for me. Yeah. And anyway, it obviously worked because Greg saw me in that outfit, and and you know he kind of is it. Is that the very first night when you got there? You went and saw the show that night. Yeah, that was the very oh. first night. Tell but, me about uh, that too, because I want to. I love that whole thing of like, here's your experience of America, oh. and you're taken right. Did they uh, pick you up or arrange a taxi or did you have to figure uh, it out? I, I, I arrived in New York. When I got to New York, seven o'clock in the morning and went through customs, they confiscated half of those toys, by the way. I just wanted you to know. Oh. And I was oh. like, a little good luck presents. I tore all the gift cards off and the photographs, but I left and there was a very tall, I can see him quite now, very tall black gentleman. And he said, I hate to do this, but I, I cannot let you go through with all this stuff. And I had one stuffed doll that my brother gave me. And I said, you can keep all of that, but I have to hold this doll. And he took a blade and he cut the back of the doll because they were looking for drugs. Oh. But he gave it back to me. And I said, do you have any children? And he said, yes, I do. And I said, please give these gifts to your children. Oh. Said, because don't, please don't just throw them away. They were gifts from my students. And I'm, I'm hoping he did that. And then um, I phoned my parents to say I arrived in, was my dad said, make a collect call, go to a phone booth, collect call, just let us know you've arrived. And I phone and I can hear my dad crying. And I'm oh. like, I just wanted to get on a plane, turn around and go back. Yes. Oh my gosh. I cannot do this to my dad. And my mm. mom says, honey, you'll be okay. I've got your dad. He'll be all right. He's, he's just not dealing very well with this right now. Yeah. So then I get on the plane from New York to Vegas and there's a convention of people. What is that? What is that techie convention, babe? There's a convention that happens in Las Vegas where people take all these video cameras and stuff. Well, they were all on board this flight, all going to this convention and me. And these people were so fantastic to me. And they were telling me about the shows and they said, don't worry. Cause I was still crying on the plane and they're like, you're going to be okay. So when we got into Vegas, they hired a sky cab and they took me to about six different casinos to show me what a casino looks like. Cause I had not seen. <laughs> Welcome to America. I had seen Sun City in South Africa, but this was, I've never seen so many chandeliers in my life. So I was in Las Vegas for eight hours. And in eight hours, I think they showed me eight casinos and took me through. I was exhausted. Oh my gosh. And then this one couple said, look, we have a hotel room. We have to go to the convention and sign in. If you want to go to the convention, our hotel room, lie down for an hour, shower and freshen up, you can. So trusting me, I did that. <laughs> it's quite ridiculous. But anyway, I went there. 
I changed into a fresher outfit <laughs> and I got on the plane and they, they drove me to the airport in the Skycat. They were wonderful. And then I got on the plane in Las Vegas and the air stewardess said to me, would you like something to drink? And I said, I'd like a Sprite. And the next thing she taps me on the shoulder and I said, oh, did you bring my Sprite? And she goes, no, we've landed in Reno. <laughs> I felt oh. <laughs> Um, what a whirlwind. Wow. I get to the airport and Jillian came to pick me up. And I knew it was her because she just looked like a Jillian. I mean, that red right. yep. there's this lady standing there. And uh, it must have been about nine o'clock at night. And she said, oh, she had a, she had a coat or something for me because it was snowing. And she said, you're probably not ready for this coming from South Africa. And she threw this parker over me. And drove me and I said, well, where is the hotel? And she pointed to the MGM brand, which you can see, she goes, over there. And I was like, oh, it's quite big. <laughs> yeah, can't miss it. And uh, so I had a lot of misgivings leaving South Africa in that I had so much to leave. But I was going to make the most of the six months. My mom said, you go and dance your heart out, mm. your last big show, um, learn as much as you can and come back. And so when I walk onto the stage, first of all, she took me into Kings Row Center and the first act was happening and it was the San Francisco scene and Jerry DeWart was flying across the stage and I looked up and this guy's flying over my head and I was a bit, was it circus? I was nauseated. I didn't know, you know, I couldn't quite focus and my ears were ringing and my mouth was so dry and I, um, I remember seeing uh, the Oldsmobile on stage and thinking, well, beautiful costumes, but there's not much dancing. And then I saw the earthquake scene and I'm thinking, well, great set design and costumes, but there's not much dancing. I mean, I, I want to dance. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so the little, you know, and then the finale, there's all those beautiful wagons and singing. And but I came here to learn a band some more so I wasn't totally blown away as some people I've heard are yeah but I still loved it and then she said okay we're going to take it's in between shows I'm going to take you backstage to my office I'm going to meet you're going to meet your dance captains I'll see if I can find where Peter is and maybe he can show you around and we're walking across the stage and I saw Teresa doing uh, smoke it's in your eyes on point Mm. And then I saw somebody in another corner doing a jazz combination and somebody else was teaching a class on stage. And I was like, okay, this is good. There's some mm. very, and then I felt, then I felt that excitement of there's a lot more that's happening backstage as well as what's happening on stage. Yeah. Um, somebody, uh, Troy came up to me, this one girl and said to me, Oh, you the Chiquetti teacher we've heard about will you teach us Chiquetti beats and Chiquetti men's work? And I was like, whoa, I've just arrived, but right. <laughs> I'll teach you Chiquetti. And um, I remember, oh, then they took me up to the light booth for the set. Oh no, I, I'm jumping ahead. I met my dance captains and I was absolutely thrilled. And then I met Peter and he took me to the restaurant down, the cafeteria. And uh -huh. he, interviewed me. he said, you've got to try this. It's the most amazing thing you'll ever eat called a brand muffin <laughs> boy that's so that's so late 70s early 80s <laughs> and I was like brand and he says you gotta have a brand muffin 
<laughs> and I was hungry. So I eat this muffin. There was no butter or anything. It was the dryest, most disgusting thing I'd ever tasted. But oh, well. I love the love brand muffins, but that's so that funny. One, it's funny that that's what he wanted me to taste. <laughs> and then they, they took me up to the light booth, you know, walking up those six flights of stairs in my fancy high heel boots and my hat. But I, I was just so dry. And, you know, the, um, the pyro had just gone up from the San Francisco scene. So all that pyro is in the air. And uh, Jillian takes me to the light booth and sits me on the couch. And she said, watch out for pink sleeves, watch out for blue sleeves, and watch out for can-can in the finale. You're going to be in those numbers. And, I, okay, something like that. And to my, right, to my left is a spotlight operator, which happened to be Greg Hoff, whom I'm now married to. Mm -hmm. um, the first American male that I spoke to, besides Adrian, was Greg. <laughs> And I hate to say this, but I, I was, should I, should I go ahead and say it, babe? My throat was so dry. I asked him if he had a suck sweet for me. <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, Not a what? term we've heard in America. And I'm like, <laughs> you know, like, well, here you call it a hard candy, but we called them suck sweets, like a sucker. And, and of course that went through the whole light booth and everybody on headsets that this girl from South Africa meets. <laughs> <laughs> so that that was my intro to my husband oh there you go you're meant and, to be married and, and, and we chatted but I couldn't really see him he could see me in my hat and the other thing is I had put a ring on my wedding finger because I thought I'm coming to America I'm coming for six months I don't want to get involved in any romantic nonsense I just want to come have a great experience learn as much choreography as I can and go and so I put a ring on my wedding finger so he looked down at me and saw that and was like well she's taken yeah but, um, eventually the word kind of got out that I was not but uh, <laughs> Greg just put a piece of paper here and he said I must let you know that there was something else that happened in South Africa that I didn't talk about there was a great experience and that was um, South Africa was involved in a war um, called the South African Border War. And all our young males were drafted to do a year of army training. And then they were sent off to our border of Southwest Africa, Angola, Botswana, and Namibia to protect our borders um, from uh, Cuban terrorists that had come into Angola. And so all our boys went off of there and Many of them were killed with mine, uh, mines going off on the roads. And I always felt bad that none of us girls got to serve in the army. They didn't take the girls. It was only our 18 year old men and they could serve for a year, 18 months or two years. And I used to say to my dad, I feel so bad that my brother had to go and serve in the army and all, all our boyfriends, all our friends from school all had to go and serve in the army and we didn't have to do it. And then Wally Green, the choreographer for television, was asked to take eight dancers to the border to entertain the troops. And I got to do that. Mm. And that was another highlight of 
he he chose seven of his dancers and then he said i need a swing dancer who can act um and could do comedy now the funny thing in south africa at the time i also had a one man a one person lady comedy act that i used to do um huh. and uh so we would go to a camp. We flew on a Dakota airline and the whole aisle, all the seats were taken out because it was, it was a, and there was just little seats on the side that had parachute hooks for the troops to go on. And we sat on these little side seats and the aisle was filled with gifts for the soldiers. It was, it was sponsored by Gunston 500 cigarettes. So there were boxes and boxes of cigarettes and then medical supplies that they were taking to the border. And um, so we flew to Windhoek in Southwest Africa. And us girls had to use the bathroom very, very quickly because there were no bathrooms on the plane and we'd been flying for six hours and drinking Coke. Coke mm. uh, so we get off of the plane. And when we're walking back to the plane, I realized that the commander and the pilot of the plane his name on his overall said Van Heerden. And I said to this man, oh, that's funny. My dad used to be in the Air Force. And he used to talk about this man, Pitt Van Heerden. And he goes, well, I'm Pitt Van Heerden. Who's your dad? Oh. I said, Jack Guest. And he goes, oh, Jack Guest, yes. So anyway, we, we get this little friendship going. Get back on the plane. And he says, do you want to come and fly the plane? <laughs> Are you crazy? <laughs> <laughs> so I go up to the front of the plane and we are flying over the Okavanga swamps in Africa and it's just desert. It's sand dune, sand dune, sand dune. And then you can see these weird shadows that are moving in a strange direction. And it was giraffes. When you look at the giraffe from the top and they are galloping, it's the most amazing scene. And he says, you come, you come and sit here in the co-pilot seat and and, and, and fly the plane. Obviously, it was on automatic pilot, but I felt like I was flying the plane for a little bit. Yeah. So I, did, I did take the, uh, what would you call it, the steering wheel, and I moved it too quickly, and everybody in the back screamed because all those boxes of cigarettes <laughs> went flying to the back of the plane. As I, But anyway, the, that was my claim to fame that I got to fly a plane over the Okavanga swamp. <laughs> Oh my gosh. I feel there's your life before you even get to America is so rich. And then exactly. I'm just, I'm, I'm still finding it so cute that you're going to go for six months and come back home and there's a spotlight operator. And, and like you, I know that you've stayed longer than six months because I'm talking to you right now in Reno and your last name has Hoff in it. Yeah. So were you, did you have a six month contract or was it did you extend or like, were you, did you start dating right away? Like, no, we, we only started dating about, uh, was, that was April and he, our first date was in August. Had so, you already signed a, an extension? No, no, contract? no, no. I, cause I, when we were in South Africa and Julian asked me to come, uh, I had a friend of mine, Tanya, her dad was a businessman. I had him read the whole contract to make sure it was on the up and up. Yeah. And he says, it looks, it looks like a legit contract. Um, so my parents kind of signed on my behalf as because my parents acted as my agent. And we must have faxed it or something. I don't even remember. But remember, they didn't pay for my airplane. I flew out. So when I got there that night, I had to sign my contract. So they'd already kind of given me the job. 
And yeah. then I came in and I said, I will sign for six months. I'm not doing more. And then um, she said, these are your dance captains. This is Rita and this is Linda. Rita's going to be your dance captain. And I said to Rita, I'm only going to be here six months. <laughs> and every time these days when I see Rita, she goes, you're still here? <laughs> really? So you sure? <laughs> so, um, well, what made you stay? Because if was it was it that you it's had a called Greg Hart? Okay, yeah. yeah. So that was before you signed, because you were like you went in as a bluebell. I went in as a bluebell, um, but I, obviously I was not used to being when I you know I, I feel embarrassed now because I was obviously a little cocky um, because I had a lot to give up. Yeah, I had I had a lot to give up, and then I said you know I'm only, I, I said I remember saying to Jillian I'm not coming all that way to dance in the back line. And she yep. goes, honey, you're going to have to go topless. And I said, I'm not going to go topless. I will come. I will start as a bluebell, but I'm not dancing topless. And I'm not dancing in the back line. I just have too much to, to lose. Yeah. So when I arrived, I was from the light booth. I watched the show and I saw Kate Vanderlee dancing on stage. I don't know if you knew Kate, but. I know her reputation is being I saw amazing. Kate and I was like, that is how I want to dance. That's who I want to dance next to. That's who I want to be with. So I said to Julian, can you please introduce me to Kate? So we go backstage and she calls Kate, Kate, lovey, come over here. I have somebody for you to meet. And so Kate comes to the doorway of the Bluebell because she was still a Bluebell at the time. And listen, my, my humor has gotten me in a lot of trouble because I'm incredibly sarcastic. <laughs> and I looked at Kate and I said, you need to take some dance class. <laughs> And she put her arms out and she said, you're a big, huge doll. We're going to be best friends. Oh, my gosh. Oh, I love and, that. Because we test in the water. So from, so from day one, Kate and I were incredibly close. She made me come and move into the apartments next to her at um, Dickerson Road. We took dance class together. Um, and so when I did start doing, so she was lead bluebell. In, in blue sleeves, she was center blue sleeves. Yeah. And they put me right next to her, mm. which was fabulous. But I wanted to be where she was. Because, right. You know, it does make you step it up, though, when you when that's what you're next to, as opposed to like, well, if you're so, next to people that don't want to work that hard. But, you know, no, but you see, I feel bad because there were other people in the show that had been waiting a long, long time to be, you know, like in blue sleeves, you in the back row and then you in the middle row and then you get moved to the front row on the outside edge and eventually you get moved in and here's this cocky South African person who comes in and I got the spot next to center and I was there for three weeks okay and then <laughs> then I was bumped to center spot and I stayed there for six years oh my gosh and um Kate got moved to principal so I bumped so into and you didn't do topless, but you did tell me that you got to understudy. Can you tell, because I didn't know this about the family and the holidays that, can you explain that about the- They had family, they started introducing family shows. I don't know if it was when it became Bally's or when it was, you'd have to speak to Jillian. I have no, I have no recollection, but on family days, like Christmas and Easter and New Year's, they would do a family show where they would just put a little bit of extra covering on all the girls. Little bra tops were put on the tall nudes. Um, nice colored tights were put over all the fishnet tights on the legs of the ponies and the boys to make the costumes just look a little fuller and more covered 
And then the audience was filled with children, which was absolutely fabulous. And so almost every holiday I got to do the lead principle spots because now I could do the spots covered. Yeah. And, um, but with very little warning usually. And so it was like, you come into the show and Julian would say, oh, tonight you're doing principle top hat. Well, it's not easy to do principal top hat when you've never done top hat. Right. Oh man. I remember the first night I did it, um, I hadn't even practiced on the staircase. I had practiced top hat on the floor with Kate. Kate and I came in early and she said, I'm going to be your opposite. Kate and I, she says, okay, let's do it. And we, we rehearsed it together. So we had it. So we knew the top hat part, but then you have to run downstairs, put your boots on while you're kind of walking. Um, I had to borrow somebody else's white costume and they were not happy because I got makeup all over it. And then um, whoever, Kate said, you walk up the back stairs, one, two, one, two, three, pause, one, two, you get to the platform, one, two, three, pause, and then you go down the front. And as I'm stepping up onto the platform, I remember Nina Burrell was next to me and Kate was way on the other side. And I said to Nina, do I step on the step on the right foot or the left foot? And she was so mad at me. She says, you never ask somebody right before they dance. And I got it right, but I put her off by, by asking her right beforehand. And that is a lesson I learned and I teach my students all the time. If you don't know something, don't ask the person next to you. That's not fair to them. Oh, and, that would make them nervous. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it, it throws, you know, when you're doing a dance six years in a row, you don't even think about it anymore. You're on automatic pilot. And uh, so, yeah, I got to do a lot of the principal understudy. So that was fun. And then I got to be a promotional girl with business theater. And uh, with business theater, we got to go to um, many towns around the United States promoting Bally's and promoting Reno. So I had many, many wonderful experiences with that. And then after I show closed and I found out I was pregnant with my amazing little daughter, Haley, um, Greg and I opened Nevada Dance Academy. And so for the last 30 years, we've had great success running our, our ballet studio. And uh, well, it's not just ballet. We teach Jaquetti Ballet and we have jazz and tap and hip hop and all those wonderful things. And the wonderful thing is that we got to have many of our dance recitals on the MGM stage, which was a experience that we could pass forward to our students. And we are now in our 30th year of uh, running Nevada Dance Academy. My um, battery was going down, so I'm listening to you and trying to <laughs> crazily plug in. Oh, okay. <laughs> I saw you disappear there. It's like, did she go? Where did she go? <laughs> No, I was, and my my extension thing's not working very well, so I might have to take you into my other room. Oh, okay, I'll go into your other room. <laughs> my iPad's been dying. So I would like, because I know um, when you stayed on, you have to keep it interesting, but do you continue to still just take a lot of classes and keep yourself growing? Because that's, after six years, it can, you no, know, the whole thing. We took ballet every night. Uh, Leslie Bandy was the one that initially got me hooked on that. We went to Maggie Banks' studio, 4.30 professional class every night from 4.30 to 6. And then 
we would go into the theater and take forever to put our makeup on. I can't imagine how many layers of makeup I used to put on. Oh my gosh, because when you're there for that long, you just keep on putting it on. And then we would, uh, then I'd go and do another ballet bar to stay warm. And then in between shows every night, we would do Jane Fonda's workout. Somebody had taken all of Jane Fonda's workouts and put it into like a 20 minute um, abs, buttocks, legs workout. And we would go and do that for 20 minutes on the carpet in the back corner of the theater. And then you would look to see who was teaching what on stage. And there was always somebody, I said, uh, like Bill Strickland was teaching West Side Story and Leslie Hutchinson was teaching a lyrical combination. And then my favorite was Philip Riccobono. Um, he used to put on a lot of the shows, uh, after, after dark shows, we used to call them. And he, when I did his choreography, I thought, this is, this is why I came to America. This is why I came to, yeah. to learn some styles. And then somebody who'd been working with Ronnie Lewis would come and teach some Ronnie Lewis style. <sighs> you know, everybody, and then I would share, I had some fantastic choreographers in South Africa, Neil Mackay and Wally Green. And so they, they, you teach a combo. So we all taught different combos. I wish I had taught more, but I didn't want to teach as much as I just wanted to learn. Um, and because that was my main goal of coming is just to see how much I could learn and take back with me. And uh, so we had great fun um, in between shows. And then two minute call, get ready for, for second show and get just, and second show was, was always fun for me because your body is so warm by now. You could, uh, you know, have a great lot of fun. And I know doing Acid Queen, I was fortunate they had an audition for Acid Queen, which was a covered principal spot. And a lot of dancers obviously wanted to do it. And I think, I don't know if Jackie Ford was doing it before me and she was leaving that contract. I don't know if she was leaving that contract. I can't quite remember, but that spot became available and they had an audition on stage um, for that particular spot. And we were taught the choreography. And, and so it's the first time I had to actually audition in Hollywood. So that was kind of exciting because I wanted to prove that, you know, prove, prove that I deserve to be there. And um, I remember I was given that spot and some people were very unhappy because once again, why is a South African given the spot and not an American? But I think I truly earned it. And because I, I, you know, I came to class every day, I did class every day, and I wanted to prove that things weren't just being given to me, that I really worked hard to get that. And it was fabulous dancing with all the, uh, on, the on the living curtain and going down the curtain with all those girls, and then the, the black boys would surround you. And it was nice and fast and invigorating. It was a fabulous piece to do it. I mean, really challenging. So it was nice to have a piece that was really very super physically challenging. So we are back. I had some uh, iPad issues. I've, it's just been draining super fast. So you were in the middle of the story and I'm like trying to plug everything in. So switch to my phone. Okay. And we were talking about opening your dance studio because when we did the reunion for Hello Hollywood Hello and they did the Hello Hollywood Hello day and they did this whole beautiful thing about like what Hello Hollywood contributed to Reno itself because there were already some really great studios. Because I remember loving, not loving taking class in Reno, but because since then, I don't know how many retired Hello Hollywood Hello dancers have opened studios, but it's quite a few that are and they're still going. Yeah, well, Reno was very blessed because they had this 
pool of well-trained dancers, as you say, from Australia and London and Europe and the United States. And many of us stayed here and opened studios. And I was uh, fortunate because um, after having had my little daughter, I thought, what am I going to do now? The show has closed. Haley is, you know, a few months old. I think I'm going to go into the airlines because as an airline, I can fly back and see my family because obviously I'm now stayed here longer than six months. And I was trying <laughs> to think how I could get back. And I applied for a job at the airlines and then the phone rings and it's Janelle Urbina who had a studio here. Her lovely daughter Jelana was in Hello Hollywood Hello and she's an amazing dancer. And she said, I am wishing to sell my studio. Um, and you are a Chiquetti dancer and she taught Chiquetti. Would I be interested in buying the studio? Now we have a little young daughter and I go to Greg and I said, do you think we can afford to purchase? Because we actually purchased the the business and once again supported totally my whole life I've been supported by people who believed in me and Greg said to me can you do this and I said this is what I'm trained to do this is, mm. this, is this is what I've been waiting for my whole life and uh, and he totally supported me we went to the bank got a loan and on Haley's uh, she was six months old we opened Nevada Dance Academy Huh? I, my daughter was six months old when I opened my studio too. We took over Nevada Dance Academy. It had already been running for about 10 years. And uh, we, I've just been blessed with the success of the studio and the enthusiasm. And then all those classes and all those amazing choreography that we had experienced, um, I got to play with that. And there's nothing more than I love doing is creating a big spectacular piece. I'm kind of known for my production numbers. I'm a little mini Don Arden myself, I think. <laughs> <laughs> just love to do, I, I just love moving, you know, dances around and, oh, I'm known for my props and my, my glitter and uh, rhinestones. But, you know, so lucky because there's Kia Crater opened a studio, Gina Kasky, Amanda Colson, Miriam Allen, Ava Van Altstein opened his own uh, ballet company. I hope I'm not forgetting any of my dear friends because... Um, we all just love to pass on the gift of dance because we mm. know what it did for us and we know that we have to pass this legacy on and then when we take our students to dance competitions because you know that's a big thing uh, the directors of these competitions are amazed by the camaraderie that we have because we all get together we sit in the audience together we're on the side of stage together we know each other's students we encourage each other's students and this doesn't happen anywhere else. This is not a normal phenomenon. This is something unique to Reno because we were all friends backstage. And we know how dance changed our lives and that we really truly are blessed to, to pass it on. And well, you had, said, you had said something too, like how they may end up working together too. Like well, that's the thing is we say to the kids, you know, don't run, don't talk behind another kid's back. Don't uh, run another kid down. Don't be jealous of another student because later on, these people are the people that you will be auditioning with and dancing with. Just yeah. concentrate on your own journey. Mm. Be inspired by others, but don't be envious of others because the dance world is small and um, you will bump into these people again on your journey. So uh, be mindful of that. And uh, because as friends, you know, I just wish when I 
Sherry, when I hear your podcast and I hear these amazing things about the people that I dance next to that I had no idea. I mean, I wish I had known all these stories. I would have been so much more generous of spirit and enthusiastic. You didn't, I mean, you know, the girls on your row and you just love the girls on your row. And then you learn to love your other bluebell friends. But I didn't know any of the tall nudes. I knew a few of the principals, but I didn't really know their background. Yeah. If there had been some kind of a journal that when you came in, they passed it to you and said, these are the people you're dancing with. And this is their story. Mm. How mm. amazing that would have been. I mean, I would have been so inspired by so many more people. I mean, I think you're a little envious of some people's dance ability and then other people, you, you, you just don't, you just don't know, you know? Um, so what you are doing is exceptional. And I just want to give a shout out to Kate Van Der Liet and Julia mm. Antig, because these are two uh, friends that have passed. Mm. And I'm getting frequent, but they were so incredibly generous to me when I came to so Julia Hentick and her husband Furka took such good care of me. And I'm thinking, you know, they're not even jealous of me or they, why are they opening up their lives and their heart to me? I mean, you just don't see people like that. And Kate was so very generous of spirit and helped me the whole way. She wanted me to be right next to her the whole way. And we worked well together and they didn't get to tell their story. And their, yeah. their stories were possibly amazing. And maybe they have a friend or a daughter that could tell their interview. But now because you're doing this, you get to pass our stories on, which I think is absolutely incredible. So thank well, you. I, I, well, and thank you. Cause I know um, I wanted to hear about Kate because at the hello Hollywood, hello reunion, her picture came in and I saw people wiping their eyes mm -hmm. and I never met her, but I know she, she did several shows and I've heard she just made an impact because she was one of the most stunning performers. And then I've had a few friends that have passed because without Facebook, we didn't know. And then we get mm -hmm. together and like, uh, uh, Mackie, oh my gosh, Timothy Mackie just passed. Okay, and yeah. And it's just because we're getting older and we don't, we think we have forever. I think in Cabby Mitchell, I don't know who danced with him. I know him from Seattle, but yeah. when we've seen them the, in the memory of like those special boards okay. that have their pictures, it's humbling and it, sad it, because it, we- at the reunion put something together for the people that had passed. And that was just so sad because you, you know, we just think we're young. I mean, I still think I'm young and I forget, <laughs> you know? <laughs> And so that we, until we look at some of those show pictures and we go, oh my God, we really were so young. Right. <laughs> but we're young at heart and we're young in spirit. And uh, um, I think teaching definitely keeps you young at heart. You just, uh, you know, you live through your students and you see their possibilities. And now my job is just to launch them and get them on their way. And they, the opportunities aren't there for them as they were for us, I don't think right but i don't know i said to greg i wonder what kind of wave you know arts goes through a wave who knows big cap big shows might come back again cruise ships might come back again um you know the rock broadway yeah. come back we hope so and it might come yeah. back so powerful and so strong because the artists are what going to keep and keep people's spirits up and so we don't know what the future holds for these young students, but we, we have to keep it uh, exciting for them. Yeah, that's what I think is, I interview the ones that, the, that are currently at the Lido and that are waiting and then they're hearing the stories of people like 
you know, that did this before them. And I think connecting all the generations, like they feel encouraged. They feel like a lot of our generation wants to encourage them, like hang in there or the ones that are just almost there to get to live their professional life. And then COVID hits. I feel like uh, COVID is interesting because some of my young ballet dancers that are going uh, pre-pro right now say there might be more openings for them as companies reopen. Some of the dancers that were holding onto spots forever have decided through COVID to maybe retire. Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> and there might be more openings at the bottom end for these aspirants to get in. Yeah. Who knows? I've you heard know? that it's also like for theater, there's those people that just keep getting hired and nobody else can get a chance. Like maybe this is cleaning house and exactly. those who are doing the work right now in this waiting time where some people aren't going to put that exactly. much energy. Hone your skills right now. I, yeah. said, never, I said to my some of my ballet kids yesterday, there's so many people offering free classes online like you've never seen before get in your bedroom and take these classes because they can't see you. You don't have to feel intimidated. Learn as much as you can while you can, you know. So, I have uh, a question that I think that a lot of us want to know because you did not return after six months. What happened with your studio? Like they're not still like, hey, when is she coming back? 35 oh, years later. <laughs> well, my, my darling sweet mother, who was not a dancer, but watched every one of my ballet classes growing up, actually became quite an amazing t- teacher. So she watched over my, my this, the black studio that I taught at was actually run through the government. So they, they found another Chiquetti aspirin teacher that was waiting to teach and they put that person in there. And then my white studio that only had 40 students, my own ballet teacher amalgamated those students into her studio. Okay. So uh, they were all well taken care of and, uh, you know, um, I don't think there was much animosity there of me. They were just so happy for me to go to America and be a that's star. So, that's so exciting. <laughs> well, the girls um, backstage on my row laughed because, you know, I gave all those little good luck gifts away, but I kept all their cards and postcards. And when I got backstage on the Bluebell Row, I sat next to Sarah Honey, Susie, Marie Pacheco, and Margot Ging. And the lovely Miss Nelly was my dresser. I took all those little pictures and totally covered my mirror so I couldn't see myself because I didn't really. (laughs) I covered my mirror with all that love. And then I got a tiny little magnifying mirror that I used to sit and put my makeup on with. And they're like, well, why don't you you look in the mirror? But but I just like to look at them. They were my, that's why I was there. I was there for them. I was there to be inspired by them and all the little quotes. And they used to send me I used to receive letters with little, you know, our kids send you drawings and pictures and they, they all got stuck up there. I was a very messy person. I still am. Eventually nobody sat next to me. So that became, I used to have two spots backstage because I took up so much space <laughs> for a while. Then, then we, then we got another dance in and, you know, but I was messy backstage and oh, well, but so blessed to have such good friends back there. And Nellie, my dresser, Loved her to bits and also had Magdalena. Nellie made part of my wedding outfit for me for my wedding. And uh, we, Greg and I got married up at Galena. Michelle's, uh, Jillian's daughter, Michelle, was my lead uh, flower girl. And uh, some of the girls in the show, Catherine Erdley was my maid of honor. And another South African girl, Beth McMillan, who now runs Art Town, was one of my bridesmaids. And uh, yeah, I'm still here. Supposed to be here for six months. It's been 
34 years. So. <laughs> I just love that it was like the very first night in the light booth. It's like, no, that's not going to be six months. But I think there's so much richness in your story because people come in and out of those shows and they have all different things they do after and before. But the friendships and the relationships are the thing that matter the most. Yeah. It's funny now for me to think that my daughter Haley, who's 30 and my son is 27, are older than we were when we were in the show. Yes, isn't that bizarre? <laughs> my, I have a 30-year-old son and a 27-year-old daughter, so we just flipped we, that. We reversed that. Yeah. yeah, oh my gosh. Um, this has been delightful. Like, I just love when you pop on, popped on for Greg's and I'm like, oh, I need to interview. But yeah, there's, there's so much beauty in your story. And I love, love, love the teacher heart because we've heard, everybody has a story that I've interviewed about how somebody that either tore them down with their words, like you're not going to make it, but there's, there's people in their lives that help build them up. But you had that for you. It's not like your parents and so many people that encourage you, but you've continued because without that, at least, you know, dance can be dog eat dog or like, what's the point? And the importance of having teachers that are giving more than just good dance class is, is beautiful and rare. I think. I had a little autograph book that I got when I was 12 years old and I was showing it to Greg the other day. So many people wrote in my autograph book when I worked at the television studios, every time there was a, I worked with somebody, I said, please sign my autograph book. And they would all sign it to the leggy Diane or big D. I hated being called big D, but it was a little D, so I guess I was big D. But they all said, you are going to be a bluebell one day. Can't wait to see you as a bluebell. I didn't know what the heck a bluebell was. It's like, <laughs> what the heck is a, What is this bluebell thing? And now there was a flower called a bluebell. I'm like, yeah. And eventually I went home and I said to my mom, what is this bluebell thing? And, she, and so she, she told me, well, these are these elegant, beautiful dancers that dance. And they have to have very good ballet training, so you can't give up your ballet. <laughs> And, um, and I think that's why I originally thought of going to Paris and I was offered a lead spot in Paris, but my mom, at that time I was uh, 17 or 18 and she said, you're not going, uh, not, not this time. Um, but it, for funny, because when the contract came up for America, because Peter was there, oh, you can go. Because uh, Peter will take good care of you. Yeah. So, uh, so I, I owe Peter a lot. Well, I'm going to interview, we were supposed to do his, we had to uh, switch it up a little bit because Vegas is opening some things. So okay. it's really interesting just because I started this, the beginning of COVID and how things are like, are they going to open or not? And everybody's in a different state of what that's looking like. And so it's been kind of interesting to check in to see like what's coming back and that your studio is open, right? Well, I guess. I'll be quite honest with you. We're just making it right now. We are open, but we are less than half capacity of students. Yeah. And, um, we are doing every little kind of fundraiser that you can possibly think of. I mean, we are just uh, hoping that this is not going to be like the now fourth phase, you know, the student phase and then the TV phase and the career phase. So the other day we even had a little paint night. Whoops, I don't know if you can see this really where my babe. We had a little paint night at the studio. So I'm now teaching. Um, oh, it's beautiful. Some artwork. So once a month, we're going to do a dance paint away. And uh, yeah. the thing is, it's hard to even do fundraisers because you're only allowed to have so many kids in a room at a time. Right. And the numbers of COVID are going up here right now. So we're hoping our governor is not going to close us down again. Because that, I mean, I'm teaching half Zoom. I'm sure you are too, half uh -huh. Zoom, half in-house, that hybrid. But to go back to full Zoom again, it's just, 
the kids just cannot do that well at home without that one-on-one yeah yeah I mean they try their best but to be quite honest they it's not easy so who knows what phase we are in now and what lies ahead right (laughs) Uh, well I'll be watching because I um I'm planning on doing is this could go on a long time of getting like a travel van like I throw my dogs in and just do like a little road trip with mask and like maybe I could just go stop in in Reno and Vegas and see bluebells at a distance with a mask and check in and see um like just ways to like how do we still connect and how do we keep our arts and how do we support each other because I think people are starting to go wait what if everything what if we lose all the arts that's a horrible thought well, that's the thing is I mean you have we have some of our main core students whose parents are right there still sending them but we need support i mean we we really we all need we, every studio it's not just mine every studio is trying their best and um some studios are very competitive and still trying to have kids do competition work how are they going to do that oh, I, wow. I i don't know so i'm not doing that right at this moment but i'm just trying to keep the kids as involved as i can and we'll have to do some in-studio showcases where i can be in control of my environment um I mean, we, I've never cleaned so much in all my life. So, uh, <laughs> but uh, I feel like at least in my studio, I can sanitize and keep distance and keep kids fairly safe. But um, I don't know, it's, 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 it's interesting times because for the first time with Zoom, I was a bit against it, but then I was actually teaching an alumni class through Zoom and managed to see some of my students in Philadelphia, New York, Hawaii, that were now coming in on Zoom to take class that I haven't seen uh, in 10 years. So that was lovely. I just did that yeah. for June. I might do that again. Um, it's interesting because people are in different time zones. So um, my two students that were back east were like, Mr. Anne, you do know it's 10 o'clock at night here. <laughs> like it's a, it's a yes. little like oh oops no I didn't realize that. <laughs> a little bit different when you're doing a show you don't get home till two in the morning that's oh, not the like I'm, I'm wide awake you know Greg and I still only go to bed at two o'clock in the morning we're still on showtime we've never changed yeah it's, it's too hard to switch back but, uh, well Diane this has been wonderful sorry about the interruption with my uh iPad totally draining but we'll piece it together and it was just it was so wonderful to connect with you um and we're going to say goodbye for now, but I have a feeling we'll have to come back for part two because uh, there's just so many good good stories within the stories. All right. Well, well, Greg and I are here. He's got some amazing stories too. So uh, maybe we, we can, can do it together. We maybe can we can do a little duet. How's that? A I little, think that would be really fun. There. Yeah, I think that'd be really fun because you had your separate stories, but so much of your story is together. So absolutely, we'll have to do all the love stories are um, the, the really fun ones. Well, anyway. You know, Sherry, you know, opening a studio, you need to have some good backup. And he's a lighting guy, a sound guy, a photographer. I'm not silly. You know, I did get the right. (laughs) You're thinking ahead. I got to start getting on the dating sites and see if I can find someone to help me with that stuff. Yeah. (laughs) At least fix the toilet. (laughs) He's not very good with rhinestones, however, but we're working on it. Okay. Everybody's got to learn their gifts a little at a time. There you go. Okay. Well, best to both of you. It was wonderful and take care. And I really hope for your studio to be able to open safely and fully soon. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that so much. Okay. Take care. Bye, Greg. Okay. I just want to let you know the Seahawks beat the 49ers by 10 points. Oh, I'll take full credit for that. Yeah. I'm glad you're happy. (laughs) All right. Thanks, Sherry. Bye guys. Bye.